Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How's your day going? It's going really well. I've spent the entire day cleaning off the patio and setting the patio furniture up for the season. I'm beat. Ooh, big doings. Big doings at your house. Yeah, you look tired. You look like I felt last week. I had the power washer out, and I did all kinds of stuff. But it looks great right now. Oh, I bet. Yay. I still need to do my deck. I haven't pulled out all the dead stuff out of my pots, but I might do that today. You know, it's 84 degrees here in Oklahoma today, so it's kind of hot. It is way too hot for you. For April. I think we're in the high 60s. But I hear we're both getting a super-duper cold front on Thursday. What's that going to knock you down to? I have no idea. I refuse to look. I don't blame you. They're saying 35 here, and they're also talking about snow in the panhandle. But ground temperatures are high, so it won't last, and it'll all be okay. We'll all survive it. But I really am irritated because I've already had my nasturtiums frozen once. So, And... I had my alyssum frozen out once, and I went and bought three more flats and decided to plant those. If those get frozen out a second time, I guess I'll have to buy more flats. I was going to say, will you do more alyssum, or will you buy more? You'll buy more. More. I'll buy more alyssum. Yeah, I can understand that. So um, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I want to talk about, um, you mentioned pollen charts last week, and I didn't know about pollen charts where you could tell by the color on the bees, what bee, what flowers they've been into. Right, exactly. And I was at a Master Gardener event on Saturday, and I talked to a beekeeper, and he didn't know about pollen charts, so I got to pass along the knowledge to him. Oh, that's he awesome. Looks surprised. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I am surprised because beekeepers, um, pollen charts are kind of a big deal, and beekeepers really pay attention to what is blooming, and that's how they tell what's what's blooming. There's something that's called the... Uh, the flow. The flow is on, and that means that you're, you've got a lot of pollen sources and nectar sources for your bees, and so you actually have um, honey being made. And so I wouldn't say the pollen, that the flow is on in Oklahoma yet, but we're getting that way. I saw my first butterfly the other day. Wow, that's exciting. We have not seen butterflies yet. I've seen some bees. I've seen some bees. I've seen some wasps, my absolutely least favorite insect in the world. Um, And then I also have seen uh, a monarch. I saw a monarch and a painted lady. And I think that's all. But boy, that monarch, she was tattered and tired. She's trying to find a place to lay eggs and then go to the great butterfly place in the sky. I guess. Well, back up. So you, you hate wasps. The most of all the insects, even over mosquitoes? I do. Really? I hate wasps. And I know wasps are beneficial, but I still hate them. I really hate yellow jackets. I hate yellow jackets, but I also hate mosquitoes more than wasps. We'll talk about that in the summertime when the mosquitoes are a problem. Okay, well, you know what? You know, there is an insect I hate worse than the wasp. You want to know what it is? I can guess. It's ticks. Yeah, I had a tick bite this week. So I hate ticks the mostest of all. So I have even started wearing that um, I've started wearing that clothing in the garden. Ticks aren't a huge problem where I live except in early spring. And so I'm wearing that clothing that's dipped in 
is it pyrethrin? I think you buy think. it. It's for hiking. And so I did that and I got my dog a new Sinestro collar. So hopefully we have nipped the ticks in the bud because those are nasty little suckers. Ha <laughs> See what I did with her? You did. I see what you did. And then I want to give a shout out to some of our friends. Our friend Lanny in Rhode Island alerted us to the fact that um, blue squill, also sometimes called Siberian squill, has blue pollen. Yeah, blue pollen, which I've never, I have squill here in Oklahoma, but I'll be honest, I don't have enough of it to go check my bees for blue pollen pockets, but wouldn't that be cool? She's taking pictures of it. It's on her blog. Yeah. Um, and we'll put a link to her blog on our notes. But I went out and checked my uh, Siberian squill, and sure enough, it has blue pollen. That is so cool. There aren't very many flowers that have blue pollen. No. And we should point out, so Siberian squill, the genus name is S-C-I-L-L-A, which is pronounced Scylla. A lot of people want to say Scylla, but it's Scylla. Silent C. Yeah, the C is silent. Scylla. Because mm-hmm. our friends also last week, they kind of made fun of us for how we pronounce Xenia. Z-I-N-N-I-A. Yeah. In the middle part of the country, I guess, at least in Oklahoma and in Indiana, it's pronounced Xenia. I do sometimes say Zinnia, but not very often. I feel very fancy when I say Zinnia. I just say Xenia. Yeah. It's like peony versus peony. You know, tomato, tomato. Potato, potato. There you go. So we aren't going to call the whole thing off. But back to Scylla. It's Scylla siberica. And Scylla siberica is Siberian squill. And in some parts of the United States, it is extremely invasive, like Minnesota. Yes. And I checked the map, and it's it's one section of Minnesota. And they, they kind of listed by counties where they have found Siberian squill in the wild. And I was surprised there's one county, mm-hmm. Tippecanoe County in Indiana, that they found it in uh, near a woodland. And so it does readily spread from mm-hmm. seed. And when you talk about lawn flowers, a lot of people will plant Siberian squill in their lawn. And I was driving through a section of Indianapolis yesterday that has a lot of old homes, old yards, and you could see the Siberian squill and also the blue Kionidoxa were in full bloom. And so you could see who had lawn service and who didn't. It was really kind of interesting. We've been talking about that a lot on Facebook. My friends and I, and, and also the beekeepers have been discussing it, and also the butterfly people. And basically, people, don't spray your yards. Don't use the lawn service if you can get away with it. I mean, unless your HOA makes you do it. Because the truth is, as soon as you mow that lawn, all of those pretty flowers are gone anyway. And... The, the bees and the butterflies, they thank you for the nectar sources. So do the hoverflies and everybody else, including the wasps. Right, and I've got a ton of nectar sources in my back lawn right now. But no dandelions. Yeah, mine too. In fact, I'm looking. I'm lo- I have dandelions. I have lots of dandelions right now. Mine aren't blooming yet, but I'm sure they will be soon. And guess what? When they go to seed and it blows all over your yard and you get more dandelions, it doesn't hurt a thing. In fact, if you want to eat the greens, you can eat them early. But that's another topic for another day. So before we get into eating stuff, because we're always interested in food, let's talk about our flower for this week. Oh, so Siberian squill and um, 
And zinnias were not our flower this week. No, they were our. There's multiple ways to pronounce botanical names, and Carol and Dee are going to pronounce them like the middle of the country. So get over it. Like flyover country. Yeah. Flyover country. This is how we pronounce them here. Exactly. Okay, so what's our flower? Our flower is? It's snapdragons. Okay, the snapdragon is Antirhinum magus. Technically, it's a short-lived perennial, but most of the time in this neck of the woods, we grow them as annuals. Yeah, we do too. We grow them as early um, spring annuals, and then we grow them as late fall annuals. So you can plant them in September, and then they'll last until a really heavy-duty freeze. And so people plant them with their pansies and violas. And um, I have noticed, though, that lately we've had snapdragons that are doing better in the heat. It used to be just a known fact that you pulled your snapdragons when you pulled your pansies and violas. But sometimes on the east side of my house and even on the west side where it gets a little shade in the late afternoon, I'm having snapdragons lasting all summer, especially those red ones. Which is interesting because around here, snapdragons have always been sold as a summer annual, and only recently have they started to offer them in the spring because they are able to tolerate a few frosts. So when I replanted my alyssum, I went ahead and bought a, well, I think I bought two flats. Two flats? Yes, two flats of snapdragons, and I planted those out on the edge of my vegetable garden as well. They're really cute plants, and um, they're they're a lovely, lovely plant. Um they, I like them because they have height, and that's a little bit hard to get from pansies and violas, of course, and from some of your other stuff except for bulbs. And I don't know about you. Where are your daffodils in their bloom cycle right now? All of them are in full bloom. Yeah, mine are almost at the end. My thalia daffodils, which are the white ones that are the heirloom, they've, they're in the middle of their bloom. But everybody else is kind of fading out, so snapdragons are a good thing to spruce you know to make a taller statement right super tall statement but a taller statement in the garden right and the most common tall snapdragon is a variety called rocket it's an older variety isn't it yeah it's an older variety and so we should mention that snapdragons are pretty easy to grow from seed they are but you got to start them about 12 weeks before you're going to plant them outside which now is when you're going to plant them outside so you're going to go ahead and buy plants Yeah, and the truth is I have only started snapdragons from seed once because they always offer them here in the spring, and I just go buy them because they're, you know, they're not that expensive, and I only have so much room for plants to grow from seed. That's right, even though you have that greenhouse. Yeah, well, that greenhouse is full, girl. It's full of all kinds of stuff right now. It's full of my citrus trees that want to come out, but I can't bring them out yet. Um, I think this is interesting about it being part of the enlarged... I don't even know how to pronounce this, Planigenaceae uh, family, and it has a tribe. Snapdragons have a tribe. I had never heard of that before. I had neither, and when I was uh, studying plant taxonomy back in college, I loved the name of the family that it was in, Scrofulariaceae. Isn't that great? And then Scrofulariaceae, and then they've done all these DNA studies, and so... Where before, botanists would look at the flower and how many pistils and stamens and petals and sepals and class them together that way. Now they do all this DNA. So snapdragons got 
kicked out of Scrofulariaceae and got moved to Plantagenaceae, which is the plantain family. Ah, plantains, okay. They're in the plantain family. And then this this idea of a tribe, I, I read about this, this Antirrhine tribe. I didn't mm-hmm. know that plant families had tribes, which is really just going to make things confusing if you care about that stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I care about it at some level, but not too much because I just don't, I don't have time for it. Yeah, but when it gives you cool words like scrofulariaceae, there you go. Well, that's that word's gone for that particular plant. Now I know. Plantagenaceae. Next week, can we talk about my favorite plant family? Sure. Are you going to tell us who it is yet or wait? Are you going to keep us I'll on tell the edge you. of our seats? No, I'll tell you. It's Ranunculaceae. Oh, Ranunculus. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I got a whole thing about that, how I used to not like them, and then now it's like my favorite. Never say That's never. That's neat. That's a good story. I like it. You can start with that story next time. And I like the composite family, which has now got another name, too. That's my favorite family because it has nectar for honeybees. So back to snapdragons. Okay, so the interesting thing is you grow your snapdragons for height. But Burpee's got a whole series of candy showers snapdragons which are more, I guess, trailing and good for baskets. So they didn't get the memo from you. I've seen them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like as though Burpee listens to anything I say. But uh, the Candy Shower series is for um, hanging baskets. I've actually seen these in hanging baskets. Um, They're not my thing, but, you know, I don't like tomatoes in hanging baskets either. Okay. Well, how about the... Um, it looks wrong. How about Madam Butterfly, the double flowering snapdragons? What do you think of those? I think those are awesome. I don't think I've ever... I've never grown them. And here's the thing. Can you make them talk? <laughs> I doubt it. I'm looking at a picture of them right now, and I don't think so, because they are very double. And there's one thing we should bring up about double flowering items, because double flowering flowers... There's one problem with them. They're not really good for pollinators. As much as human beings like the way double flowering plants look because they look big and fluffy, the problem is is that pollinators can't get down in there to get the pollen and the nectar. Yeah. So I have kind of moved away from, as pretty as I think they are, I've kind of moved away from them. They're kind of frou-frou. They're a little frou-frou. And I, I don't, you know, even though I have a big garden, I'm I'm planting primarily for butterflies and bees so there you go well the other thing i wanted to say about snapdragons and when i said they talk i'm assuming that all our listeners know who have grown snapdragons that you can take the florat off and you kind of squeeze it between your thumb and finger and you make it talk and say things to you exactly little kids little kids play with snapdragons because well and so do i sometimes because when you can pull that out you can make it little petals go in and out right so it looks like it's talking like a little puppet it's really cute and there are like a little puppet yes like a little parrot fun a fun thing to teach your children yes and we want to teach our children about gardening because that's the only way we're ever going to get new gardeners to grow up even my kids like like to talk about gardening at least in fact megan came over yesterday 
And we walked the whole garden together because she wanted to do oh, it. Oh, that's nice. That was nice. We've, we've done those family mm-hmm. garden walks. And in fact, one time we got together and my sisters and I, we always tour each other's gardens. And my little nephew was like five and he comes out and he says, are you guys going to go on your flower walk now? Oh, that was sweet. That's so cute. It is really sweet. Um, let's just say quickly that it is, they are not hard to care for. You can, they will both tolerate some heat and some light frost and keep cutting them back to encourage more bloom. Right. Because they'll keep on flowering and they'll put two, two flower stalks for where the one you snapped off. So they'll get more and more full and they look really great. They do like good drainage and they don't mind if you amend the soil a little bit with some compost to get them going. Right. And we mentioned that they, um, they're technically short-lived perennials that are grown as annuals. So south of zone seven, they, they can be a short-lived perennial. And there is a, another snapdragon, and it's um, Antirrhinum hispanicum, which is supposed to be hardy to zone six. And I planted, mm. it's got a smaller flower, but I planted some last spring that I found at the local garden center. And I was out looking today and trying to decide if these couple little plants coming up are it or if they didn't make it. So I'll know in a couple of weeks. Interesting. I've never grown that one, so that would be a fun one to try. It looks like it trails a little bit. It does trail, and um, it has a grayish-green leaf, and the flowers are sort of a yellow and pink combination, and it's a bit smaller than what you would find on the um, Antirrhinum magus that we're all familiar with. But worth a shot. So, do you have any pic? Do you have any pictures of these uh, in your garden? You know what? I'll try to find one so we can post for people to see. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is we could post it if we can find one. I have some of my other ones, so I'll post those. Are we moving on to vegetables? Do we get to talk about eating yet? Yes, we could talk about eating now. So, what's coming up in your garden, D? Your vegetable garden. Well. Uh, right now, my vegetable garden, all the varieties of lettuce are coming up. Um, my snap peas are coming up. My snow peas. My um, I, I finally got my sweet peas tall enough to put them outside. And so I transplanted those. But I wanted to talk a little bit about thinning plants. Because I think when I first started, um, that was the hardest thing ever. So talk about it, Dee. How did you get over your fear of thinning out the plants in the vegetable garden? So when you plant when you plant certain things like spinach, and I have spinach out there right now too, and some pak choy. When you when you plant these seeds out there, they're small, and when you put them out there, they I put them in a line, or if I do them in a little patch, I mean I've, I grow them different ways. But ultimately, it, they all seem to germinate at one moment. And you have to thin them. How do you thin them, Dee? I just pull them up by their little roots. That's how I thin them. What do you mean, how do I thin them? There you go. (laughs) Well, some people go out there with little scissors and cut them off, but I'm like you. I just pull them out by their roots. Good Lord, no. The only one I would do with scissors would be carrots because of the carrot fly. They say it helps to keep the carrot fly at bay or carrot maggot, whatever it's called. Um, No, I pull them up. But when I first started, it was really painful to pull up a plant that was growing so well. But what happens, Carol, if I don't pull them up? They all get crowded out and they become, they don't get to grow to their potential, the ones that are left. And you just get a bunch of spindly little vegetables. Stunted. They become stunted badly. And so I made myself start doing it and 
I put my, and sometimes it takes two thinnings because sometimes I'll thin them a certain amount apart, but I don't want to thin them all the way to the, you know, like the two inches or whatever because of the crows. Crows like to eat lettuce and spinach. So I try to save enough that in case I have to transplant some back in and move them, I've got some to move. But before long, they'll be big and the crows aren't interested in them anymore. You know, I don't think I've ever had any crows around here eat my seedlings. I, I do sometimes get birds eating them. Mine are just barely up, barely, not ready to thin at all yet. Mine are about uh, three quarters of an inch tall, but they've, they're past their, they're in their second set of leaves. They're true leaves, not their cotyledon. Not here. We're just breaking ground down here, over here in Indiana, just breaking ground, barely. Yeah, but that's because your two zones colder. Oh, I forgot. And I planted later than you. <laughs> well, because your two zones colder. If you plant. That's right. If you planted when I planted, everything would have frozen solid and you wouldn't have been able to do it. Actually, I did plant before the snow event and, and because it was all in the ground and like you said, the ground had already warmed up. It did not bother these seeds at all. That's awesome. Just that alyssum. Yeah. Yeah. And my nasturtiums and my calendula. All of those got frozen. Pre- oh, and my... Uh, I bought some new lavender, and I shouldn't have put it out yet. It had, like, greenhouse growth on it. We should talk about that for a sec. You know, when you bring plants home and they have that tender, tender growth because they've been in a greenhouse and they haven't been hardened off outside yet, yeah, I made that mistake. But I think the lavender is going to come through. Right, and that's a good reminder for our listeners that even if you buy something at a greenhouse instead of growing your own, that greenhouse plant probably needs to be hardened off as well. Yeah. Don't do as I do. Do as I say. Exactly. <laughs> so, Dee, we decide this year you and I are going to compete growing a particular vegetable. Yes, we are. Because Carol likes to turn everything into a competition. I do not. <laughs> That's well, maybe. The, the, yeah, you do. Well, we'll have multiple competitions. Of oh. course, we're going to have a tomato competition. Oh, gosh. But we thought we'd start off the spring. Let's see who can grow the best. Are you ready? The best turnips. <laughs> okay, but we gotta we got to clarify a few things. What do we mean by the best? Are you talking about biggest, most flavorful, prettiest? What are we discuss- What are we competing on? All of the above. We'll have to figure out a way to put pictures online and let. Um, let readers judge. So I guess it's going to be the prettiest because okay. it's hard for people to taste them. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It would be hard for me to taste your turnips and vice versa, let alone listeners exactly. taste them. So we, have you got your turnip seed in yet? I have planted purple top turnips, but they are not up yet. So I didn't, after we had that long discussion either last time or the time before about how much I love purple top, I looked in my drawer of seeds, and there wasn't a single package of it. Instead, I had a package of Nagasaki Akari Kabu, and I'm sure I just butchered that Japanese, that entire Japanese phrase. But it's an heirloom that comes from Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds, and it is up. So that's exciting. I've got little baby turnip plants, and I thinned them yesterday. Well, mine are not up. I hope they come up because uh, it's not going to be much of a competition if they don't germinate. Well, I was a little worried because I didn't know how old this packet of seed was. And so I thought, uh-oh, I better get those in. And they, you know, they popped right up out of the ground. So go turnips. So the one thing we should tell listeners is 
Turnips need the soil to be about 50 degrees Fahrenheit or warmer before they'll germinate. And so peas like 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And so you really need to, if you're unsure of planting, you should check your soil temperature. And so this is when people give me that strange look and say, how do you do that? And then I say, with my soil thermometer. (laughs) Do you have one, Dee? We will link to soil thermometers on Amazon. Um, You know, I do not because I don't know. I'm not as scientific as you are. But I, you're just on a wing and a prayer, well, throwing that seed in the ground and just hoping for the best. You know, I've done this for about forty <laughs> years. So, I mean, I've been I've been doing this since I was my teens. So have I. And the truth is, is you know darn well when your temperature of your ground is about forty to fifty degrees because you know when you plant stuff each year. I know, <laughs> but it's kind of fun to go out there and take the temperature. That's fine, and I can see why you might like doing that. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody out there will want to do soil temperatures. I know they will. Exactly. So um, I'm growing purple top, and the reason it's called purple top is it's a white turnip, and it has purple shoulders. Mm, pretty. Mine is purple on the outside and white on the inside. Inside and white on the outside? Is that what you said? No. No, purple on the outside, white flesh. Okay. I thought, purple flesh? You're going to win. No. Um, No, it's not that pretty. There are some other varieties out there. Johnny Select Seed has an all-white variety called, and I'm going to butcher this name, Hakurei, H-A-K-U-R-E-I, which is all-white. And then they have uh, Scarlet Queen, which is red with a white flesh. That'd be pretty. We will link to all of these different turnips um, on our show notes. Um, because we've got them from three different places. And turnips are, as we discussed before, one of the easiest veggies to grow. They and green beans. I think green beans are easy too. But don't grow green beans right now. It's too early. It's way too early. Um, If you want a yellow turnip, there's one called Golden Globe that Burpee has. Pretty. So we could have grown, if we'd started earlier, we could grown a lot of varieties. Well, maybe for fall we'll grow a rainbow, a turnip rainbow. There you go. (laughs) Turnips in general, so some turnips can take as little as 35 days before you have a a nice root that's ready to eat, and you do eat the turnip root, and you can eat the greens when you're thinning them out. The greens are edible Mm -hmm. Uh, because they're a member of the brassica family with the um, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, turnips, beets, all in the same family. And then one other thing. And all of the greens can be eaten. Yes. One other thing we should say about turnips is some of them, you want to look at the package. Some of them are very quick, 35 days. Some of them can take upwards of 70 days. They don't really like to have um, hard freezes, obviously. So you want to, if you're going to plant, right. this is a good time to talk about planting in succession. So if every couple of weeks you sow a new row of turnips, then you'll extend your harvest and you won't have turnips all at once. Right. If you have a big garden, you can certainly do that. If you don't have a big garden, I guess you can't. Do you have a big garden, Dee? I have a big perennial garden. My vegetable garden, I told you last time, has shrunk because I don't need a... I mean, I used to have a huge one, but not anymore. Because, you know, it's just Bill and me and Claire occasionally. So, you know, but I am growing a bunch of tomatoes, not as many as you'll grow, but 
I've got a bunch coming. Um, there was something else that I wanted that you wanted to talk about too, about turnips. Oh, I, you know, when you talk about cooking turnips, you can cook them really, really well, and they're delicious. You do not have to cook them the way I grew up eating them, which was disgusting. Mom used to use, I talked about this before, salt pork. And then she would cook the turnips and the salt pork until it was just disgusting. Mashed turnips are delicious. They are. I've uh, been to a Scottish restaurant here in Indianapolis, and I had, they called them neeps. And uh, they were mashed Mm -hmm. turnips, and they were very good. And so you would mash turnips just like you would mash potatoes. Mm-hmm. They're good mashed with carrots, too. And they're also really good. I like them just steamed when they're small, and I put a little butter and salt and pepper on them, and they are so good, especially if you use Kelly Gold butter. Kelly Gold butter is wonderful. It, mm. Yeah, butter makes a lot of vegetables taste really yummy. And here's the thing. They're all saying that butter's okay now, so let's just eat our butter and enjoy it. Not tons, just a little. Yeah, with our turnips. Yeah. And then I did some looking online for recipes, and I think turnips are going to be the next big vegetable because there's tons of recipes out there. You think move over kale. Move over kale. Here come turnips. Yeah, and honestly, turnips are a little easier to cook than kale. But kale is good, too. And I, oh, I meant to tell you, I have something exciting in my vegetable garden. I had planted some kale last fall. Yes. And it didn't come up. Because you yeah. know that happens sometimes, right? Right. Well, it's coming up now in the middle of my lettuce. And what I'm doing is I'm just transplanting it over to its own little space. And it's the pretty kale, the really purpley leafed kale. It's lovely. Ooh, that's nice. A little bonus from the yeah. garden. Little gift, little gift. There you go. I'm waiting for my gift. It'll be dill that'll come up everywhere. I have some dill coming up too. Mm-hmm. And some fennel. But dill and fennel are always a gift. They come up all by themselves every year, and I just decide if I'm keeping them to that spot or not. So if you have good dirt, sometimes seeds lie in the ground and don't come up when you think they're going to come up. Sometimes they come up later. So you might think you totally failed at a crop, but not necessarily. It just may come up in the next season. There you go. And so, D, game on with turnips. We'll post pictures of our turnips. Game on. We'll post pictures and let readers decide. That sounds great. But I'm going to have to post, I'm going to have to take pictures of mine and then yours will be done probably a little later. And right. And then we'll post them together. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't want to pre-post yours so that I know what the competition looks like. No. No. No way would I do that. Yeah. Game on. <laughs> Who's going to grow the best looking turnips? There you go. Only we, only we would be the only ones who would even do this. Because turnips are kind of a humble vegetable. All right, so let's talk our dirt. It's really your dirt. You have dirt for us. Well, I just wanted to introduce the idea of phonology. And phonology maps are out there. And phonology is the study of basically tracking when things bloom each year uh-huh. and keeping track of that. And I want to do more research because I know our ancestors used to plan what they did based on when things bloomed. And so um, when the daffodils started blooming and they knew it was a certain going to be probably a certain temperature from then on and there were probably crops that they could plant. Right. So you found maps at the USA National Phenology Network. Yes. 
And um, they're kind of like the first nap is like, how does this spring compare to normal? And it's dated April the 8th, so it's as of yesterday. And then they also have static maps of spring leaf out, spring bloom. So this is very similar to the maps on Journey North, which track when species come back up. Yeah. And interestingly enough, um, I heard a couple of years ago that you can judge whether we are going to have our last frost, our last freeze, by the turkey buzzards. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that because I don't think we have turkey buzzards around here. Maybe we do. Okay, so you guys don't have turkey buzzards. All right, so turkey buzzards are native to Oklahoma, and they they travel out of Oklahoma and south before the winter because I can't remember the exact details, but it's something to do with that they're um, – that they can't swallow or something. So if it's cold, they they aren't able to eat, basically. And, and I hope I'm getting this right because some, somebody's going to call in and say, are you kidding me? No, that's not what it means at all. But basically, turkey buzzards can't handle the cold. So they don't come back to Oklahoma until we are done with our freezes. I have to say I have not seen a turkey buzzard yet, and they're talking about a really big cold front coming through at the end of the week. But, you know, who knows? That's interesting. Um, I know people do stuff by when things bloom around here. Um, and it's not really phenology, but it's quirky enough, I guess. I guess. But you know what? I pay I pay attention to the native trees. I mean, I look at the native oak trees and go, uh, those aren't leafed out yet. So I don't, you know, I don't trust the weather. That's how, because you can say that our, like in our case, the last Frost date is supposed to be April 15th to April 20th, depending on where you live in Oklahoma. A little earlier if you're further south. But the truth is, we had a freeze like on May 1st. I think it was last year or the year before. That's late for you guys. Very late for us. But it happened. And so I watched the trees. And right now, the oak trees, as I'm looking outside, are starting to bud out. So I'm going to predict that we will not have another freeze. It's going to get cold, 35, but no freeze. What do you look for? I look at um, my crab apple that sits out here in front, and it's just got little baby leaves. And so it'll bloom on schedule probably in another week. And it's always surprising to me how early it does bloom. It'll be in bloom by about April 19th or so. But I, I have people that, that uh, do things based on April 15th, other than file their taxes. Oh, yeah? So one of my friends says, no matter what, she doesn't start mowing her lawn until April the 15th after she's paid her taxes. Okay. Have you mowed yet? No. Uh-uh. Not yet, but it's looking like I might have to in another week or so. Maybe maybe at the end of the week. I think I'm going to have to. I'm trying to wait one more week, let the bees use the flowers that are there, but... It's getting pretty high. Yeah. I've got too many flowers in the back. I'm going to let that go high. And then the local bird store tells us to put hummingbird feeders out by hmm. April 15th so that as the hummingbirds come north, and we can check the maps because there's tons of maps that tell us sure. about hummingbirds, we can check and um, they want you to have the food sources out and ready for the hummingbirds when they arrive. Yeah, that's been a concern for monarchs here because... The monarchs and hummingbirds are flying through Oklahoma right now, and there's not a lot of um, 
larval sources for monarchs, and there's not much for hummingbirds yet to drink either. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I feel like this has been kind of a late spring for my state. Definitely a late spring for Indiana, if you want my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. And you do want my opinion. I, I always want your opinion, Carol. Speaking of opinions, tomorrow night I am speaking at the Will Rogers uh, Exhibition Center, which is in Will Rogers Park in Oklahoma City. It's open and free to the public, and I start at 6 p.m., and I'm going to talk about Enchanting April. And I would be there if I didn't live, what, a thousand miles away? Well, I appreciate you letting me give it a buzz anyway. Right. Well, I'll be speaking. I actually have a weekend off, and I'm not speaking again until next Tuesday night. And then I'm speaking to a local Master Gardener group up in Hamilton County on Tuesday the 16th. Good for you. And that is open to the public as well. Yay. We'll put those on our Facebook pages. Yeah, I already have shared it quite a bit. So I just thought we'd give our listeners one more chance to know when we were speaking. Very good. So what else have we got today, Dee? Does that kind of wrap it up? I think that kind of wraps it up. Everybody can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, We post pictures of the things we talk about, and we also have discussions with different people. We got some questions this week on our Gmail account, which is thegardenangelists at gmail.com. It was about planting seeds, and we answered it. And uh, I know people are listening because we're getting some feedback, and it's wonderful. It is wonderful. And just before we leave, Dee, I thought I saw a butterfly go by out the window. So I've got to run out and check that to see if I actually had a butterfly out there. Or if you just imagined it? Well, it's possible it was a bird. I don't know. (laughs) I hope it was a butterfly. You deserve a butterfly today. Well, the lilacs are getting ready to bloom in Oklahoma. So I can't wait for that. I'm excited. I'm excited for you, and then I'll get mine later, as always. As always, but it won't be so hot there in the summer. All right, have a great afternoon. You too, Dee. Bye. Bye. Bye.